Uh, I'm honored to be here with you tonight. Uh, it's a privilege to be invited here, and uh, I trust that God will bless you. Um, it's a difficult subject uh, that we're going to look at. Pastors asked me to uh, look with you at divorce, the issue of divorce. Now, I realize it came in the context of uh, Matthew 5, 31 to 32, and I won't bust his chops, but he said, I'll leave the difficult stuff for you. So he just went on to the easy stuff, like men lusting after women in their hearts. That's adultery of the heart, okay? Yeah, so that, that anger, killing people, you know, when you, you know, okay, you, you, you want to curse them in your heart, that's, that's murder of the heart, okay? So he took all the easy stuff, okay? So, so here's the, here's the uh, verse that we're going to look at. Matthew 5, 31 to 32. Uh, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that as we consider your word, uh, we pray you'll help us not to rip it out of context, but to understand it in the whole heart and mind that you've revealed yourself in Old and New Testament. We pray, Father, you would bless us, and this may not be just, uh, just a, a little thing that we do and get understanding, but Lord, it may make us think seriously about our marriages. If we're single, uh, to contemplate marriage in a, in a very, very serious manner, because we really want to please you, and Lord, we know uh, we want to run against the grain of our culture, which uh, makes divorce an easy thing. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, real quick, I'll try to be quick. You know, kind of go, if you're not understanding, wave your hands or whatever, and I'll slow down. Um, this is in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus went up on a high place, he preached. Okay, and the context is, in Matthew 5, he calls his disciples. And that's an important thing. He's primarily teaching believers. Okay, and he's trying to tell them, tell you and me, uh, this is who's in the kingdom. Because remember, who's Jesus? Okay, son of David, right? He's the king of Israel. And what did the Jews have a problem with? They thought that they were God's chosen people, which they were. And because they were chosen, they were chosen because they were special. When God says all through the word, he picks the worst. Okay, so if you're a Christian, you know you're a scumbag, right? Just get, get over the pride and everything because... He picks the worst, as we're told in the New Testament. So they had this idea. So he calls his disciples and he explains to them, I'll tell you who's blessed. The blessed ones? What? The ones that are poor in spirit? Yeah, don't get too far, you know, in the NFL playoffs saying, you know, you know, I'm not very good. But that's Jesus is the poor in spirit. They that mourn. What? Mourn? Mourn. Yeah. They that are meek, they that hunger and thirst after it. Merciful peacemakers, who what? Pure-heartedly, single-mindedly stick with it when they're persecuted. Does that describe you? Describe me? Certainly not before Christ gets a hold of you. But that's, that's who's blessing. He's explaining that. And, and he says to him, now look, this is who is really my child, and this is the evidence of it, and your whole purpose What's your purpose? If you're a Christian tonight, 
you're supposed to be salt and light. This is before refrigeration, okay? So why got to be salt? He salted the meat. Salt preserved things and kept them alive from going bad. And light? You got to have light because if you stumble around in darkness, no, no night goggles, okay? That's who we're supposed to be so that the people that are going to hell can find their way to the foot of the cross. Okay, and, then, and the section that we're coming in here uh, it can open up to Matthew 5. What Jesus is correcting is this. There are a bunch of people who will be like me, ordained leaders, who are teaching the law. We're teaching uh, what God said in his law. But guess what? They were teaching it wrong. They twisted things. In, in, in trying to make it easier, they made it worse. Okay? And these guys were teaching uh, God's law and twisting it. Okay? So Jesus is correcting that. So you can look at there real quick. Um, he says, first of all, the law, which was given by Moses, wasn't a bad thing. What Jesus is saying is, but the law can't save you. The rules can't save you because you break the rules. And that's why I've come. I've come to fill up the law. I've come to do everything that the law... And here's a quick gospel message. To be in front of God, you've got to be perfect. But God doesn't mark on a curve. I hate to tell you this. But God doesn't mark on a curve. You know, he doesn't take <clears throat> the best scumbags and save them. Okay? So you have to be perfect. Well, where do you get that perfection? Jesus... He kept the law perfectly for 30-some years. And then, beyond that, which we sang about, he shed his blood to cover. He's the Lamb of God. We sang that, Lamb of God, the first one. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. When John the baptizer said that, that's what he meant. There is the Passover Lamb who gives his body and blood so you can live. So that's the gospel. And then he goes to correct what the Pharisees the teachers of the law were messing up. And so he talks about anger. You can see that in that chapter. And then he goes on to lust. So if, if you call your brother, anybody got a brother or sister here tonight? You do, right? What do you call them? Well, I hope you don't call them an idiot. Ooh, or worse, right? If you get angry with your brother and go, you're such a stupid idiot, you've killed him in your heart. Can't go to jail. Can't do time for that but they're dead. In your heart, you hated them. Okay. Uh, he gets on the men. Women can sin this way too, but it's primarily men. If you look at a woman and go, hmm, you know, oh, I like that. You've already committed adultery with her in your heart. She can't get pregnant. You don't get a sexually transmitted disease, but you go to hell. And like the Pharisees, what? You gotta be kidding. Right? Now that is a deep criteria, isn't it? And then he goes on to divorce. Okay? So here, let me read the verse again. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That was like a bombshell. Now, to, to deal with this, I could just preach this text 
but, but Chris has really asked me to deal with the divorce. And so I'm going to have to say some things preliminary. Uh, you may or may not agree with them, but write these down and think about them. Okay. First of all, Jesus is preaching, and he's preaching to the Jews because he's fulfilling the Old Testament, right? So is the Old Testament a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing, right? It, why? Because who gave the Old Testament? God did. Okay? The point is, the Old Testament points us to Christ. All the sacrifices, all the laws, they were there to drive us to Christ. So, if you, if you believe that, then you might think this. This is the first preliminary thought. Does the Old Testament say anything about divorce? I think it does. And we'll look at it very briefly. But if the Old Testament says something about divorce, then we need to know that before we jump into the New Testament and figure out, like, okay, what's going on here? What's Jesus saying? Second thing, the Old Testament is normative. In other words, it, it still sticks unless Jesus changes it. Okay? Uh, why do we get baptized instead of circumcised? Because God's changed that. We don't get circumcised. We can get circumcised. It's another story for another time, but the bottom line is that's not the sign of the covenant. The covenant is what? Baptism, okay? So he changes things, and he's going to change some things about divorce, okay? He, he's saying it right here, and, and there's other passages that nail this down. The third thing is, is uh, more complicated, and I, I'm doing this because you'll get this with Jehovah's Witnesses, you'll get this with Mormons, you'll get this with all kinds of people, and even other, other believers, People look at the Old Testament law in different ways. And uh, just a quick uh, summary of the Old Testament law, there's moral law, what's right and wrong. And right and wrong went all the way back to the garden. They knew right and wrong. God told them that. You're not supposed to commit adultery. You're not supposed to steal. They knew that in the garden. Okay? They knew that they were not to covet. They coveted the tree. They knew that. Why? Because God had told them. Right? The day you... Eat of it, you'll... Oh, and I'm sure Adam at least said, what's death? And guy goes, don't want to go there. Tommy gave him a little more, more description than that, but God is saying, Adam, and he, he just, you don't want to do that. Okay? So the law's there, the moral law, but then there were other things like ceremonial laws, right? We don't have you know, priests, and we don't have animal sacrifices, and we don't have to you know, tie the edge of our robe and all kinds of things. Why? Because they were ceremonial, symbolic, including the dietary laws. They were pointing to what? Purity, the need to be pure. And then, of course, there were civil laws that God gave to Israel. So if you want a quick um, interpretation, look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 19, explains that. Other people have different views, but you can look at that. By the way, it's okay if you're Baptistic, you know, look at the 1689, it has the same kind of a, a take on theology. But that's important because everybody, everybody, and just humbly said, everybody does inferential theology. In other words, I gotta figure out things from the Bible that it isn't quite as clear. Okay, and lastly, uh, I'm gonna try to do this quickly is, all the scriptures on a particular subject have to be considered, okay, right? So uh, people who claim to be Christians, right? What do they say? 
In the name of Jesus. If you only claim this, you'll get it. Why? Because the Bible says, ask for anything in my name and God will give it to you, right? Doesn't the Bible say that? Or am I goofy? I'm goofy, but the Bible says that, right? Well, guess what? It says a lot else about prayer, doesn't it? See, so if you take that, and there's an old saying, you've probably heard it, a text, a passage of scripture without a context is a pretext. In other words, it's just an excuse for you to you get Jehovah's Witness to say, hey, see this passage in Isaiah here? Da, da, da. Can't have Christmas trees. Because if you're having Christmas trees, you're sinning. See, it's right here in Isaiah. It's not referring to ever. Okay. People, people will take that out, right? I've even heard Muslims say, see this text? And they apply it to Muhammad that really is about Jesus. So you have to be careful. Everyone uh, take all the scripture and put it together. So real quickly then, let's look at this. Okay. Uh, Jesus is teaching uh, okay, his disciples the truth about the Old Testament. What did Jesus think of the Bible? He says the scripture cannot be broken. It's infallible, it's inerrant, it's unchanging, and it's sufficient to teach that. He's not canceling the Old Testament. And that would, I, I would say, uh, again, pray about this and think it through. He's not canceling the Old Testament view of divorce, except he where he explains that. And I think he goes on to do that. Okay? He's correcting these errors. Okay? He accepts the Old Testament truth on all matters. So, Jesus accepts what the Old Testament says in this regard. And here's, here's five things you might want to say. It's a little technical, but uh, in the Old Testament, okay, when Jesus gets in the arguments, and we're going to look at a couple other passages also. When Jesus is arguing with the, the, the teachers, the religious teachers, about marriage and divorce and remarriage, they said, Moses commanded us Okay. Let's turn to that. Uh, 19. Okay. Matthew 19, 3 through 12. This is what happened. The Pharisees, these are the teachers that Jesus is correcting, came up to him and tested him. Okay. So they're not just in, interested in theology. They want to bust his chops. Okay. They, they want to test him by asking, quote, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Okay. Now, there was, uh, and we know from history, there were kind of two schools, Hillel and Shammai, they, they argued. Hillel was kind of liberal, uh, uh, Shammai was really narrow. Hillel said, hey, she burns the toast, get rid of her. Any ground is okay. Shammai says, no, it's got to be something serious. And they go back to Deuteronomy 24. Uh, he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. What they, therefore, God has joined together, let not man separate. So they're going, da, 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 and he goes, hey, what's Genesis say? What's God's original intent? So you kids that are going to school and people can tell you, well, you can be anything you want. You could be a man in a woman's body or a woman in a man's body or you can be one thing one week and one, you know, all this uh, confusion. Now, 
God made one man, one woman, put them together for life. He goes, that's the paradigm. That's the way it was in the beginning. Okay, so they counter that. Okay, see this counter. And they go back to Deuteronomy 24. We'll look at that. Well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Okay? Now let's, let's go back and read Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, because that's the passage they're quoting. And listen real carefully and see if you agree. This is, this is a no-brainer. Do you agree with Jesus or these dudes? <laughs> okay. No-brainer, no okay? But, but listen. This is kind of like one of those little kids' things where they have two pictures and they look exactly the same, but there's a bunch of things that are slightly different, right? And you're supposed to identify. So, so listen to this passage and see if you can identify what they messed up. Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. When a man takes a wife, marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. By the way, that indecency... That's what the rabbis were arguing about. What's the indecent thing? Da, 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 da. Doesn't matter. Because in other words, you're saying, whatever he doesn't like, and that's the cause for the divorce, he says this, in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, uh, and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. Now she's got the proof. I didn't run away, he put me out, I'm divorced. And she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her, writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For it is, that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for inheritance." So that's the passage they're arguing. And this, the Hebrew is technically ervath devar. What's this indecent thing? Oh, it's anything he doesn't like. No, 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 no. It's got to be something serious. Uh, real serious. Can't be adultery because that was a death penalty in the Old Testament. They missed the whole point of the passage. Can, can you see? Can you see this? Is this passage in Moses even saying, go divorce her? No. He's, he's really, what he's saying is this. Okay, dude, here's what's going to happen. You get rid of her. She's probably going to marry somebody else. And after that, you can't ever have her back again. That, that's, the whole, that's the whole point of this passage. You better think twice before you get rid of your wife. because She's probably going to marry somebody else. And then after that, you can never take her back again. That's an abomination. That's the kind of thing the pagans would do, grabbing wives, getting rid of them, shuffling them back and forth. That, I mean, it's a preventative. In other words, really, I think this is the flame. Don't do this. Think twice before you do this, because if you do, she's gone. Moses isn't saying, go divorce her. See, so Jesus says, look, why did Moses command one to give her a divorce and to send her away? He didn't say, do this. He's preventing the abuse of it. So he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses, what? Allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Well, the disciple said to him, if this is the case of a man and his wife, it's better not to marry. That's how serious it is. Because they go, whoa, who can live with a woman for all those years? 
and not get mad and sinner. Better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been made so from birth. We know that is, there's a birth defect. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. Ouch. Origin and other people who misunderstand that. And there's those who make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. It's a whole other story. But by the way, uh, really, if you want a little book, Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage by Jay Adams is a good little take on reading this whole thing. Because if you don't understand what marriage is, you won't understand divorce. If you don't understand marriage and divorce, you won't understand remarriage. Okay? And uh, we have a society that doesn't care about that. So divorce is permitted. It's not ever commanded. Nowhere in the Bible does God say, I want you to divorce that person. Secondly, divorce does end the marriage. Now, again, there's basically four approaches that you hear from Christians. There's no grounds for divorce, and obviously then none for remarriage. There are others who say they're Bible-believing Christians say, look, there's limited ground for divorce, but no right for remarriage. You can get out of a bad marriage on biblical grounds, but you can never remarry. Then there is those that say there's limited grounds for, for divorce, biblical grounds, and if you have a biblical divorce, you have the right for remarriage. And then there's, hey, it's all sad, and just do the best you can. People who claim to believe the Bible, then there's the whole world out there. Uh, but there are people who will argue with you, it's a little technical, but hey, you're always married in, in, in God's sight. If you get a divorce, and it's not biblical, it's not a valid one, and therefore God considers you still married. And you know, with these verses, you can see why people would think that. But if you go back to the Old Testament and study it real carefully, I'll just give you one, one example. Numbers 30, verse 9. Legally, the divorced woman is in the same category as a widow. Their vows and what they do, a woman can decide, even in Israel, even though the men ran things, the woman can make certain decisions. And a divorced woman was no longer under her, her ex-husband's authority. That's the Old Testament view. And I could go on and on to show you that thing. Third thing, divorce, okay, permission can be rescinded. I mean, it's technical. But if you go through the Old Testament, you look at passages. Uh, let me uh, give you a text for that. Deuteronomy 22, uh, 19, and 29. So here are two cases. If a guy marries a, 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 you know, in Israel, right? And it was a real serious thing not to be a virgin. You young people remember this. You know, it really was very serious not to be a virgin, especially for a woman. So they get married, and the guy goes, she's not a virgin. That's a serious thing. So they examine it, right? And if the, if the judges examine it, and it turns out that the guy's lying, she really was a virgin, guess what? He can't divorce her all his life. Even in that permissiveness that God gave, it's so bad for a guy to marry and say, my wife was a new virgin, okay, that he gets fined and he has to keep her the rest of his life. Well, she probably doesn't want to be with him, but the bottom line is he loses even that permissiveness. And then there's a man who forces a gal to have sex with him. She's not engaged to anyone. You know, she's not married, so it's not technically adultery. 
if the father for some reason says, hey, you, you still can get married, because he's humbled her, he loses the right of divorce. So, so even that permissiveness was, was limited by God. Fourthly, divorce can't, uh, can't be reversed uh, with a new marriage. Deuteronomy 24, we'll look at fifthly, divorce may be permitted for abuse. Now that's a big argument, I'll just be honest with you, a lot of people don't agree with this. But you look at Exodus 21. If a woman's a slave and the guy cuts off her food, clothing, and sexual contact, she goes free without payment. That's a slave. Does the free Israelite woman have to do the same thing? People argue different ways. Same chapter, Exodus 21. If I have a slave and I knock out his eye or tooth, guess what? He goes free. Doesn't have to pay his way free because I've so abused him. So I think that there's a possibility, okay, that divorce may be permitted for the person who doesn't have protection. The woman who's in that position, she can't protect herself. So that's something you need to study and to consider. Okay, so if that's the background, here we come to the New Testament. Okay, we've got this passage, okay, and, uh, and we've, uh, we've got 1 Corinthians 7. So let's tie this up. In Israel, go back, okay. In Israel, the Matthew 5, Matthew 19. Why? Because God is speaking to people who are supposed to be believers. So he's saying, look, there's only one ground for you to get rid of your wife or get rid of your husband if they are sexually immoral. And I won't go into the gross details, there's all kinds of things listed in scripture that could fall into that category, not just having sex with another uh, woman or man, but homosexuality, etc. That's such a serious violation. It's not a death penalty now because you know, we're not in a state um, of Israel, but that's so serious, God says, okay, you can go free. And uh, biblical divorce carries the right of remarriage. Again, you have to study that out, but that's the Matthew 5. It was said also, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, what? Makes her commit adultery. Literally in the Greek, to be adulterated, okay? And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. They say... I don't understand that. How can, he, how can they commit adultery if they're not still married in God's sight? Um, again, uh, you have to pray over this and see if you think I'm right. Jesus also said something to, like this when he was preaching. If your eye offends you, do what? Pluck it out. Did Jesus really mean physically for you to pluck your eye out? You're laughing. Why not? Yeah, because, right? So here's a guy that's lusting after a woman, right? Right? Okay, and you pluck that eye out. What's the problem? You still got another eye, right? Okay, good. We'll go, Jesus, one better. We'll pluck them both out. What's the problem now? Memory. <laughs> the point is, I believe Jesus is exaggerating to get the point across. He's saying, in effect, if you get rid of your wife for any other reason, and apparently the Pharisees were doing this all the time, to get another woman, it's as if you're committing adultery. Because you should have never done it. You have no biblical grounds. She, didn't, she wasn't sexually immoral. I don't care whether she burnt the toast or anything else. You know, I don't care if she's yakety-yak-yak, yak, she talks too much. That's no 
reason to get rid of her. So, so that is between believer and believer. Okay? So if you're a believer tonight and you've got a, a husband or wife that you've gotten problems with, right? Then here's the choice. Holy up and make it. Because that's your only option. Not sit there getting bitter and angry, etc., etc., etc. Because marriage should reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. So that's between believer and believer. Now, it's very interesting. There's one other place in Scripture that I think we need to look to. Now it's the 1 Corinthians 7 one. Okay? Uh, let's read this because something new is happening. Okay? So from the beginning of time through the whole Old Testament, God is speaking to his people. He's not talking to the pagans. He's saying, okay, here's here what marriage is. This is the only ground for, for uh, divorce. It is really sexual immorality. Of course, in the Old Testament, technically that was a capital offense. You were caught committing adultery. Both parties were to be executed. Okay? Uh, that's how serious God takes adultery. Now, remember, the gospel now is going out what? How many are Jewish here tonight? Anybody Jewish? You're all Gentiles, right? In fact, it's really interesting, except you're, if you're in a messianic congregation or something. But everybody's a Gentile. We're so used to this, right? We sing a little kid's song we sang this morning over at the church where I preach. Um, Jesus loves the little children of the world. Some, most of you don't know that because it's old, old school. Jesus loves the little children. Yeah, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. You know, Jesus loves the children of the world. But guess what? There's not a lot of Jews running around that believe in Jesus. Why? Because the gospel broke out of those Old Testament bounds and now it's to go to all the nations, right? Praise God. Can you, you Praise God. You don't have to be a Jew, right? You don't have to become a Jew uh, to be God's child. We are now members of the church, which is the new Israel. It's, it's God's people. Now, Paul, the apostle, is now writing to a church at Corinth and explaining a new situation that arises. It says, to the marriage, I give this charge, not I but the Lord. In other words, he says, I'm not making something up. This is Jesus taught this. The wife should not separate. Now that word in Greek, it's, that's the way you translate it. But really, it literally means by divorce. Because we'll see this. Separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain what? Unmarried. This is not just geographic separation as we know. So in other words, so she should not divorce by separating from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Hello, isn't that what Jesus taught? Just stick, it, stick together. And if, let's say, say it, just to put it in street language, if you screw up and you get divorced, stay single or get reconciled. Because you should be married anyway. I think that's really what he's saying. He's, he's echoing back to all the teaching in Matthew 5, Matthew 19. But he goes on, he says, To the rest I say, I not the Lord. Now think about that. Is, is Paul making this up? Paul's just sitting there kind of, oh, no, no, I don't think this is a good idea. No, I think what he's saying is the Lord didn't teach this. I'm teaching it. Why? Because this is a new situation. That if a brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Why? Okay, so the gospel's going out and... You know, sometimes the husband doesn't get converted. 
right? Some of you may be in that situation. Sometimes the wife's not converted. And so they're going, what should I do? You know, should, should I get out of here? Should I get out of this marriage? And Paul's going, no. No, 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 no. No. If you've been converted and your spouse isn't, this is what you're to do. That's what he's explaining. Why? For the unbelieving husband is made what? Whoa, listen to that. Made holy because of his wife. He's unbelieving. How can he be holy? Okay. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. doesn't mean they're born again, but it's just like in the Old Testament. Their vessels were set aside. In other words, really, if I could freely translate it as the unbelieving husband and kids get a blessing. Right? So if God's going to pour out a blessing on you as a believer, even though you have an unconverted spouse or children, God's still going to bless them. Now, does it mean they're going to be saved? Maybe, maybe not. But the point is, they get extra blessings. You may not believe this, but it's, it's really good to be a Christian. <laughs> you not only get eternal salvation, right? God blesses you now. Okay? And say so he does bless you with a good job. You know, the husband or wife gets the bennies and so does the kids. Okay? Uh, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. They're not bound to that person. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Remember what Paul said. You don't save anybody. It's the Holy Spirit. But what he means is you'll be the tool to save your unconverted spouse. But he's saying an interesting thing. What if the unbeliever... I've been in situations like that. I had a woman once... Um, uh, well, kids are old enough, but, you know, this guy was, he was, Tyree, he was twice as big as you. Little guy, right? He was a, he was a construction worker. I mean, he looked like a brick wall. He was, he came in there, God wrote the good broad. Excuse me for the, quoting the language, but that's what he said. He was so angry, he was beating his wife. Why? Because when they were non-Christians, his wife would do anything. They would do drugs together. They would swap husbands and wives. I mean, they did all kinds of gross things you couldn't imagine. When she became a believer, God cleaned up her act. She wouldn't participate in stuff anymore. He was angry. He said, this isn't the woman I married. I said, that's exactly right. And you ought to be glad. This woman loved this guy and was willing to live with him. But he was so angry he was beating her. And basically what he was saying, just to God ruined my wife. And I don't want her. And I can tell you case after case where some people go, hey, my wife was really cool until she became a Christian. Well, what's the problem? Well, we used to smoke weed together out there in the garage, man. And we were cool and we had good time with our friends and now she's a, a dud. All she wants to do is love on me and be sober. I'm serious. You know, and I don't want her. I want a, you know, I want a wife that'll toke up with me. That's, that's the kind of thing. Now again, if your husband or wife is unconverted, it doesn't mean that you put little tracks in their ear in the middle of the night, you know. You know? Or you turn the TV or radio station to Christian stations and it won't allow it to turn to any other one. You block all the other TVs. No, no. You don't 
push them out the door. They run because they don't want to be near someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit. It's just that blunt. That, that's what Paul is talking about here. Okay, So I know that's quick, quick overview, but I, I think that's what you need to say. So there's two grounds, biblical grounds for divorce. If you get a non-biblical divorce, stay single or try to be reconciled. But if you have a biblical divorce, what are the two grounds? Sexual immorality of a believer and a believer or an unbelieving spouse that says, I'm out of here because I don't want to be with some religious nut. Or we could see it. I could, I could see it easily happening in some of our circles, especially in the world, okay? If a wife says, I believe that there is one God, Jehovah, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Jesus is the Savior, that confession could get her killed. However, in some cases, it probably might be where someone said, okay, I don't want to kill her. I'll just get rid of her. She'd be free. Because the unbeliever says, I don't want to have anything to do with this religious nut, or this person has the wrong religion. So I don't know if that's clear. I hope it is. But that's a real quick uh, overview of this whole issue of divorce and remarriage. Uh, again, if you have a non-biblical uh, divorce, you need to be reconciled to that person and try to make amends for what you did wrong. If you have a biblical divorce, sexual immorality, or desertion of a believer or an unbeliever. And just to throw this in the end, this is why I am adamant for all churches, wherever I go, please practice biblical church discipline. So let's pick one of the men because I am the man, okay? So, so the husband's a jerk. He ends up committing adultery. He deserts the kids, right? The elders of the church need to say, this is the innocent person. They're not sinless, but they didn't, make, they didn't cause the breakup. Why? So this woman's reputation is protected. She's a godly woman. She did everything she could to save this marriage, but this guy was, was horrible. Now, that cost, yes, it does. But uh, we did that in church and got sued for $5 million you know, because we wrote letters to the court and said she should get the kids, not him. Because the guy who had committed adultery was excommunicated, wouldn't repent, was still messing around. And, and basically we said, hey, you need to protect her. Of course, the civil court usually doesn't care about that. There's no fault divorce now because for them they think this is over the top you know, nitpicky legalism, okay? So again, uh, here's the, uh, the presentation, quick. Uh, again, I will be honest with you, there are gonna be people, good uh, Christian uh, teachers who may disagree with me, but I'm trying to be honest with what I think the whole scripture says. So let me pray, and then uh, we, can, uh, we can go to Q&A or pizza or whatever. Okay. Now again, Again, even if you don't have Q&A, go home, but don't steal the kids' pizza. Okay, pizza's for the kids, okay? I think, right? Unless it's left over. Unless it's left over. Okay, good. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, these things are difficult at times because, Lord, they are technical. There are a bunch of things that we have to think through. What is the Old Testament? What does the Old Testament actually teach? And what was Jesus actually saying? What was Paul actually saying? And Lord, uh, we don't do this in an arrogant way, but we've tried to be honest with your word. Pray, Lord, as we 
go to Q&A that you might bless the time and we might actually have uh, questions that will help people where they really struggle with this. Pray that, Lord, the books that are there um, that are good, they might get a hold of and wrestle this through. Because I know, Lord, there are people with uh, wounded consciences because someone has told them that they're living in sin by being remarried. And there's others, Lord, who really ought to be convicted uh, because they are living in sin, but they have no, uh, they're like spiritual Miss Piggies. They wipe their mouth and say, I've done nothing wrong. So please, Lord God, work and, and help us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.